Is there a game where you just spoon a hillbilly? Cause sign me up. <laughs> sign me up for hillbilly spooning. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web programmer. And I'm Sam, and I'm the art programmer. I program the pixels. Art. And before we get started. Uh, we have a warning. This show can get rambunctious at times. Anything could happen. So if you have sensitive ear holes or if you're a child, go away. Go away and stop listening immediately. Okay. So now that's out of the way. We got some news. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. First news. We hit, This is our .5 year, also known as half, half year mark uh, podcast episode. Yeah, congrats. twenty six. There's 52 weeks in a year. This is episode 26, so Good we job, did guys. it. Half a year's worth of content. We did we it. made it. Totally for free, just for your ear holes. Yeah. I mean, we're going to start charging now. I mean, yeah. there might be a high cost to listening to it, you know, intellectually, yeah. but it, uh, it, won't hit your, <laughs> it won't hit your wallet. But listen, you guys, so I've been thinking. What huh. have you been thinking about? Just kidding. I haven't, but I do have a question. For you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you one that one that did not require thinking. One that requires no thought at all. So I just just answer I'm just all gonna right. ask you just I'm answer. Ready. I'm ready. Uh, it's like blurt. Do you <laughs> do you think everything happens for a reason? No. Ugh. What do you mean by that? I mean backwards it does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't. So everything happens because something else happened. Exactly. So yeah, right, yes. cool. Good. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Everything happens uh, as a result of something else. So, so there is a reason Reasons, for everything, guys. Happening. Everything has historical contingency. All right, now what's going on with nomads, Sam? I don't even know what this means. I need to talk about this. I need to get this off my chest. Get it, or, get it off your your muggle chest. So that's the thing. Apparently, in the Harry Potter world of the United States slash America, as it is often referred. Muggles are no longer called muggles. Muggles, of course, a non-magic user, someone who's not empowered to make people bleed out of all their pores simultaneously. Uh, they're referred to as a mm-hmm. nomad. I think that's one of the only spells that wizards ever use. In it Harry literally Potter. is. There's like six spells. <laughs> it's in, pretty dark. Yeah, one of them is for levitating things, one of them is for unlocking doors, and the other one is for making people bleed out of every orifice. <laughs> yeah. It's casual. Gross. But they're called, yeah, you're called a nomad. Oh, so that's short for no magic. Right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would, when you first said that word, I was like, I don't know what the no fuck mag. this means. You know, no and mag. then I was like, but I was like, yeah, it sounds like nomad, right? And I was like, oh, maybe this is some sort of a weird, uh, you know, uh, like wizardry way to talk about nomads. But so here's, here's what I want to know. Do the do the American wizards and the the British the wizards? Brizzards. The Brizzards, do they not talk to each other about this stuff? It's like, do they each have their own terms for everything? Apparently, yeah. There's like, you know, there's cultural differences, apparently, in this fantasy universe, which is hard to believe, you know. Well, think about this, though. Maybe it's because, so wizards, uh, like, so everything in the Harry Potter story takes place in like a 100-mile radius, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because wizards, since they're so, you know, they're not mechanically inclined because they rely on magic for everything. So a transcontinental flight on a broomstick would be just a nightmare. But can't they just teleport or something? 
Yeah, pretty no, sure they, they have teleport. to use they have to use flu powder, and then they land in a in a chimney. You know, and oh I, right. And I think that's probably has a limited range because you probably need to calibrate the chimney. You know, with the powder bag, and yeah. it's a very involved process. Mm-hmm. And you have so. to put your finger next to your nose in exactly the right spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that only has a range of probably 200 miles or so. So the nose, the nose finger or the powder? Yes. Yeah. Both of them. Both of them. Okay. So like maybe the, the British wizards don't even know that the American wizards exist. Maybe, maybe they just think the world is flat. Even probably they're probably complete idiots. Maybe the American revolution was actually all of these nomads rebelling against their magic overlords by throwing their, Apothecary supplies into the yeah, man. Bay. What was that Mel Gibson movie? That's I mean, Braveheart, The Patriot, The Patriot. That's what that was about. <laughs> I mean, every the Mel of the definitely Braveheart. <laughs> every Mel Gibson movie is the same. Um, yeah. So Sam, you found this crazy video, yeah, about addiction. Well, why were you looking up videos about? Well, addiction? I don't know. I mean, I've been taking a lot of drugs because of all this cancer shit. So you know. Every so often, and you're like, you get, "Oh man, am I going to get the jimmies and need, to, need yeah. to get my fix for immunosuppressants?" Well, this so this other thing happened, which is that so I'm I'm on this drug called tacrolimus, and you have to take you know 13 of these tacrolimus pills every day, and the the point of it is to keep the new immune system that you get after a stem cell transplant to keep it from killing you. Okay? Sam, wait a second. What? Why can't you just get one pill that's the size of 13? Because I'm not pills? a horse, Adam. And then use it as a suppository. Just ram it right up your butthole. Well, the, <laughs> I mean, this is basically what the insurance. You, yeah, you don't. Did. You don't insert it. You gotta. You gotta <laughs> right. ram it. Oh, that's right. You need to save room so that the insurance company can yeah. do that to you. So okay. that's basically yeah. So they give you pills so that they could they could take care of that particular action themselves. So what happened was my doctor accidentally um, only wrote the prescription for my refill on the. The morning dosage of this pill, which is half of the amount of them supposed to have every day, so which naturally is seven. Yeah, so naturally I ran out of pills, you know, twice as fast as I was supposed to. So I think no big deal. I'll just call it in, have them get me a refill, and then the insurance company steps in the way and they say, "Hey, we're not going to fill that until November fifth because those pills were supposed to last you until November 5th. Yeah, you tacrolimus junkie. <laughs> you know, never minding the fact that, yeah, this is not like a controlled narcotic. It doesn't give me any benefit. This pill has no recreational use yeah. <laughs> at all. Well, no, but all they care, they don't care if it's recreational. They just care how expensive it is. Right, and it's very expensive. Yeah. And it's very expensive. But um, I found it kind of upsetting that they could just step in and be like, yeah, you're not getting that until the 5th of November, even though clearly why the fuck would you ever want more of that? In your life. <laughs> like, you must have no reason to do this. You know? You're like, listen, insurance company, I don't want the pill. You don't want to give it to me. Let's just call it even. And just give me the fucking pills. <laughs> I'm taking all these drugs. And so I was like, I had just happened to be browsing around the interwebs for uh, psychology of addiction stuff. As for mm. whatever reason, I Were you worried about getting addicted to tacrolimus, or are you also <laughs> no, on not, something else? Not to tacrolimus. I'm on, I mean, I'm on lots of other crap. Because you got, you probably got sleeping drugs. I got sleeping He's drugs. He's on zingers, whiz bangs, <laughs> dingle dongs, flash nogs. Also, yeah. just medical stuff. Yeah. And those are all medical terms. Yes. I'm on lots of zingers. And uh, so I found this video. And for those who don't know, my, my background is in psychology. 
by my background, I mean, I went to school for it and I actually cared about it while I was learning it. So I know a bunch of stuff in that regard. And um, this video was extremely interesting because he dove into the the presumed science of how people get addicted to things, which is that, okay, so for example, with something like heroin, uh, you take heroin X number of times by the, you know, that final X time, your body actually craves the drug, you're hooked, and then everything sort of falls apart, yada, yada, yada. Um, you just can't function without it. Yeah, you can't function without it. And so, in other words, it's, it's the relationship between you and the drug is what the addiction is about. Now, as it turns out, that science was done, that established that was done in a very particular way back in like the 60s. Yeah, with, and an important side note here. Yeah. Pretty much every single study done in the 60s and 70s was full of shit. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> atomism. In, in, in any field. In any field, but especially in psychology and biology. Everybody was just stoned out of their gourd <laughs> yeah. in the 60s oh, doing yeah. science. It was the heyday of people doing like crazy experiments, like and people getting really into starting to make science happen. So, of course, there's a lot of foundational stuff that was happening then. But it's also ethically questionable just across the board. The problem that we're still facing now in psychology, especially like the social sciences and biology, especially where people don't know how to design studies to actually successfully answer a question. Right? Correct. Mostly from a statistical kind of problem. Well, so this standpoint. is actually this is kind of what happened. So yeah, what what they did to to test this idea of okay, what is what does it mean for some something to be addicted, is they took a, they took rats, uh, and they they put the rat in a cage by itself, no toys, no bed. You know, nothing of interest. Just a completely empty glass cage. A barren cage with two bottles in it. One bottle of your normal drip feed water and the other one of drip feed water laced with heroin. Um, in every single instance, the rat basically tastes some water, tastes some heroin water, and is like, this heroin <laughs> water is great. <laughs> yeah. And then comes back and comes back until it kills itself. That's just the, what, what has happened. So most of our sort of generalized assumptions about how addiction works rely on this particular set of studies established back then. And they've done this for kind of every drug. Like there's there's cocaine right. studies that do it where they just show a rat will like press it forever, you know, keep yeah. on trying to give themselves more cocaine and Yeah, so they're they're like, if we if we give a rat absolutely nothing to do except <laughs> drugs, will it do drugs? <laughs> So yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they'll do the a lot of drugs. Yeah, the unsurprising answer is yes. Uh, the surprising thing though comes with what happens when you actually simulate perhaps a better uh, social environment for a social creature. So in the case of rats, are rats, social. Uh, yeah, rats are extremely social. And some guy was looking at this then in the seventies, and he was like, "This kind of seems dumb to me." So uh, I'm going to build Rat Park, is what he called it, and it's essentially heaven. For rats, balls everywhere, friends everywhere. Oh, pipes rats love balls. Um, and this video, by the way, I'll, I'll put the link to the video. It's fantastic. I'm essentially just doing a longer form of it. It's extremely well done. Um, but in in Rat Park, the rats, of course, have access to all the fun things a rat could possibly want. And then on top of that, both of those bottles again. So we got the water bottle and then the heroin lace bottle. And interestingly. Extremely interestingly, in that environment, the rats don't actually give a fuck about the heroin water. And mm -hmm. this, of course, should... None of them overdosed. None of them overdosed. Either. Very few of them ever even drank it. Or preferred it anyway. And, you know, this, this should rustle your jimmies, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because the way I, we... I feel my jimmies rustled. The way we think about people being addicted Focus to harder, stuff, Seth. 
uh, and the, the the point the video ends up making is essentially that it's it's not about the drug. It's essentially about the cage that you're in when the drug is presented to you. And it's your circumstances, your environment. Yeah. And so if you're able to be in an environment where essentially uh, social support, so connection is plentiful and uh, the ability to do many things is plentiful, it turns out drugs are not particularly appealing in that role and of course if well and more importantly and in, in, in the in that video they talked about some studies of looking at actual humans right who mm-hmm. went from environments where that were very negative and and very bad where the incentive was high to to do drugs and they did mm-hmm. who then went on to a better environment a better social environment uh and the vast majority of them just quit doing those, those yeah, 95 percent just stop yeah and this is, of course, very interesting now because people are people think that they're more connected than ever with social media and everything, but the reality is that all all large form uh, psych surveys that I'm aware of point to basically growing issues of disconnection, depression, loneliness, loneliness. Yeah, we're actually being we're currently in a in a honestly in a sort of epidemic of loneliness in this country, especially and and uh, what happens if people get lonely is that they basically just replace they're like that rat. They're yeah. like, I'm just going to do heroin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing else to do, so fuck it. Yeah, and so the, the video basically ends up making the point that the, op- the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection, which I thought was among just the best ways to put it I've ever heard. And it's, oh, it's yeah. called In a Nutshell. They have a bunch of series on YouTube. You should totally check them out. So after watching this video, I, I went to the gym last night, and I had a realization where... Addicted to huge gains. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> that is a, that I'm, is a fact. We should probably have intervention for Seth right now. I'm uh, being crushed under my own biceps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I every time I go to the so I've been going to the same gym for four or five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know a single person there. I've yeah. seen the same people there for months, mm-hmm. uh, but everybody has headphones on, and yep. so there's no possibility for conversation, right? Because all you can do is mouth toward them, be like are you done with this? And they're like, yeah. And then that's the whole, that's the whole thing. There is a, an interesting study in this vein, which is that, so we, there's this easy, easy concept in psychology, which most people have a, a painful familiarity with, which is called, just called miswanting, which is that you don't actually know what things will make you happy or make you productive or whatever else. And you tend to want things that, that society or whatever else tells you to want without, regard for whether or not those are actually good for you and one of those things is basically this this loneliness thing uh so for example when you ride if you ride the bus or ride a subway um people predict and they did a study on this which was hilarious which is they asked people okay uh what do you think it'd be like if you actually spoke to someone on the train today as you're going into work and everyone's like oh god that'd be terrible like i just do not want to do that absolutely not people are so dumb um and then what they did is okay well what we want you to do is actually do it today. So go get on the train, talk to the person who sits next to you. Just ask them how their day is, whatever. Um, and then they just measured their sort of what, what's called hedonic balance, but just happiness, essentially, uh, before and after. And inevitably, the people who actually talked to someone on their way to work, a stranger who who chatted with someone for like five minutes and just kind of had the surface level conversation, were actually happier than the people who just got stuck in their Beats headphones. Turns out we're social animals. Turns out, yeah. Who yeah. knew? Who knew? To bring that to video games. Hit me, Adam. Hit me right in the it's, face. Uh, <laughs> it's, since that's what this podcast is all about in principle. 
So we're about to roll into our beta test for Crashlands, right? We're getting very close to this. And one of the things that always comes up when we're getting ready to put a game out to the public and, and are asking for feedback from people is that we know one of the main pieces of feedback we're going to get is here are all the things that I want to be easier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and it's because you think, and, and we, I mean, we think too, right? When we're playing other people's games, as we're playing them, it's, we always think, oh, I just like you, know, you really want the best stuff. You want to be able to be overpowered so you it can dominate would be your enemies. If I one shot everything <laughs> and took no damage, that's a lot of the reason why people cheat, you know, and, and so on. But it turns out that that actually just isn't fun. People absolutely do not have fun. And you'll, you'll yeah. be very aware, you'll be very aware of this if there's any game that you play that you, you know, use cheats on or that you have gotten to the max level on where the balance goes away so that you're now really overpowered that's when the game becomes just really not fun. This actually comes back to a great story from uh, Borderlands, the development of Borderlands, where there was a zone in Borderlands. It was very, at the very beginning of the first game. Skag Valley. Skag, Skag Valley. <laughs> and they were getting complaints from players during the beta who were like, there are too many goddamn Skags here. Like, I'm trying to get through, and I just have to fight Skags the whole time. So the developers of Borderlands were like, hmm. Okay. So they tripled the number of skags. And then the complaints <laughs> stopped. Because it turns out uh, there were few enough skags that people perceived the area as being a travel zone. Where it's like, oh, I just need to pass through here. Right. But the developers actually wanted people to view it as a combat zone. Where it's like, I go here to fight skags. And so by tripling the number of skags they and making it dramatically harder to get through, then people stopped complaining about how many skags there were, <laughs> right. uh, which it's is all awesome. about but, framing. But also, you know, and kind of coming back to the whole concept of like connection and addiction and stuff, this is really interesting when it comes back to video games because video games, so unlike something like heroin, right, uh, video games actually have the potential to cause addiction and connection. Yes. What? Right, so uh, this is a, weird. this is an interesting idea, and I think I think it actually falling into this uh, this con this concept of the addiction and connection side of things uh, happened basically over the weekend, I think, and and when I saw this video and had seen a few other things, and Seth and I um, and Adam were chatting about it the last couple of days, and I think I think it finally put into place what it is about certain games that I actually feel uncomfortable about, um, like Wildstar. No, Wildstar I'm cool with. Oh, okay. Never mind. Well, I mean, that thing thing has its own mechanical problems. But I mean, so as far as this addiction connection thing is concerned, because the, I think the reality is that there are certain games you play to, uh, to essentially distract yourself. So for example, if you're going to go take, you know, take a huge dump. (laughs) That's massive. Like (laughs) a mega minutes. Legs, uh, legs falling asleep. Like, You're like, I don't want to remember a moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is going to be so traumatic. I can't. <laughs> you know what time it is? It's like, it's mobile game time. It's 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 quadrupus time. time. It's quadrupus time. It's, yeah, it better be quadrupus time. And uh, I think the thing that I noticed about this is that games can, they kind of end up falling into two categories. And it depends on the person, but... But there are, there are there are games that generate uh, they generate stories for for both the person stories that you experience something like Bioshock for example uh, and stories that you can share 
either by way of how you interacted with the game in a, in a reasonable context or something like League of Legends where you're like, it, it has this sort of larger language to it, like chess, so you can you can discuss plays essentially with people, right? Or Left 4 um, Dead. Or Left 4 Dead, right. We're like, oh, Adam was running into this building and he got punched in the face by a tank and then everything, like, oh, you know, that sort of thing. And so stories can, they can, or games can generate stories and they can also, like from a player-generated context, and they can also provide an interactive story, uh, which, of course, stories are sort of the basis of all shared human interaction. So in that regard, in my opinion, games are just one of the most powerful uh mediums for this like this is the one true power that they have which is actually the ability to provide you a medium through which to generate more stories to tell well it's a it's a cultural touchstone it's the right. same thing as like when everybody in the office is watching game of thrones you know and like you want to also keep up with the episodes so that exactly. you have something to talk about around the water cooler exactly you know if, if you meet somebody who's played the same games as you then you have awesome shit to talk about and I think that's one of the things we've we found actually with basically you know wrapping up all the story stuff in, in Crashlands um, is that the game moved from being like, oh, yeah, the, the, it purely had that, okay, yeah, I did this sort of crazy thing or I built this crazy house. Uh, I had this moment in combat that was nuts that I can share to actually having a shared narrative line that people can, can talk yeah, about. Yeah, it gives you a lot more stuff to talk about. Right. And I think there are games that literally much like something like Reddit or Imgur, um, when you walk away from the experience with them, you don't have anything more to share, nor do you remember the story that was contained within. So, Well, not not for more than a day or two. I mean, yeah, if you, it's right. always the newest thing. Yeah, is, if, you, if you were to ask somebody like, hey, name the top five Reddit threads that you saw two weeks ago. Right. Like, like, no, I, nobody can do that. Zero idea. <laughs> you just don't remember it. It's it's just a passing, right. fleeting thing. And interesting, I noticed the like one of the few Reddit thread Reddit uh, subreddits that I actually get enjoyment out of because I essentially get to retell people's stories is the "Today I Fucked Up" subreddit, which if you if <laughs> right. you guys haven't checked it out, it is hilarious. Well, it's particularly funny because the the people who like are really into that subreddit are really obsessed with whether or not the stories being told are true. Yeah, so they're always picking it apart. There's the typical witch hunting, you know. Yeah, they get really upset if they think it's false. <laughs> and I'm just like, if I had a good time reading that story, I'm like, true enough. Yeah, okay, who cares? Because who that's the, the values in the story, right? So yep. so I think I moving forward, I'm kind of, I've been, uh, the way the way I think, I guess, about the things that, that we make, and the, I'm, very, I'm just so happy. Someone asked us last week, you know, what are you going to do if Crashlands doesn't go anywhere? If it just completely flops and I'm same like, thing we would do if it succeeded. <laughs> yeah. That for one, um, keep making games, <laughs> but two, I mean, like it does both of these things that I now think are kind of the core pieces of a game. So telling a narrative story and providing a platform for storytelling story generation, it does both of those things. And it's the first game I feel like we've made that really does both of those. Yeah. It's, it's hard to talk about like, all you can, the best you can do for Flop Rocket, for example, is be like, "Hey, I made it to space." Someone else be like, right? "I didn't." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are, that's the end of the discussion. It's hard. And in Quadrupus, it's kind of the same, right? It's it's oh, I beat Pete. Have you beaten uh, Pete? Or no. I got to this depth in its insane mode or whatever. Right. But but the that's Telfet, the end of the nobody played, so you know, there's that. Yeah, Telfet had all kinds of good stuff. 
but that but yeah, it requires that people to actually play it. So. <laughs> Go play it, guys. What are you doing? Go listen to the podcast. Go play Talifight. What's wrong Talifight. with Talifight? Jeez. Whatever happens with Crashlands launch, uh, hell of a game. Hell of well, a game. Speaking team. of speaking of Crashlands launch, uh, we just speak. We just put up a blog post about our beta timeline. Which, if you haven't seen it yet, you should go check it out. It's just at butterscotch-shenanigans.com. Um, we're doing a live... It's almost a countdown. But it's basically once everything is crossed off... Of, it's a productivity countdown. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just an itemized list of all the stuff that's left for us to be ready for beta. And uh, once everything is crossed off on that list, uh, some a lot of people will be playing it. <laughs> playing right. Crashlands. Yeah, and actually, and I think, uh, and I, I haven't actually talked to Sam and Seth about this yet until this very moment, Hit me. but I wow, think we're gonna we're gonna need to close the uh, the beta applications uh, probably yeah. a good while before we actually start the beta test, and so Maybe we and, should do that like tomorrow. Yeah, once we decide to do it, we'll send it. We should probably send on uh, in a newsletter or something. We'll give some updates about the studio, and then say that we're we're gonna close the thing in a few days. Uh, because we're, I'm now we're working on the infrastructure to do all of the beta testing stuff because it requires that players, of course, submit lots of feedback. And so we need a whole bunch of stuff for that. And we also need to know exactly what it is we're looking for in our beta testers, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a whole bunch of tools we need to build. And if people are constantly trickling in, then it's not going to work. So True. So if you're listening to this, get over to crashlands.net right now. And sign up for the beta if you're interested in it. Mm-hmm. And get a B-Scotch ID if you don't have get, one. Well, you'll need one you'll to need sign up one. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, because soon we will we will close that mother down. Okay. Uh, I think I think that's all we got as far as news. Yeah. So let's get on to some questions. So these questions are submitted by our players and I guess just anybody else who stumbled across our stuff. Uh, it's over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you want to influence the future of this podcast and get your questions in there. You can also vote for other people's questions. Um, so again, that's at podcast.bscotch.net. And you can ask us anything. It can be about the games that we're making. It can be about games in general. It could be about the world. The I mean, universe. last week we were asked which one of us we would eat in an apocalypse situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah, great. I heard that episode. Go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That got pretty weird. Um, yes, it did. Uh, all right, so let's let's uh, hit, Dig in. hit these questions. All right, so first question comes from Mia Kitty. Has the pre-order option got a good response for Crashlands? How many people have actually pre-ordered, and how many more do you realistically expect upon release? I'm going to um, say zero upon release. Yeah, hopefully there's no more pre-orders. They're well, we'll actually orders. probably close pre-orders down when we open the beta. Yeah, so that, yeah. I yeah. think I think that's the plan. We wanted to offer the pre-order as a as a thing to our fans who are like, yeah, I want to get this and I can help out the studio. Um, if you like, if you really want to help us out, actually, at this point, because we're so close, wait. Because on launch day, we need a huge number of purchases in order to sort of kick ourselves up to to the top of that algorithm, however the hell that thing works. It's like the only yeah, piece of knowledge we have about it. We didn't realize this when we started the pre-order stuff up. Um, we learned it a little bit afterwards and we were like, shit. Right. So we've actually, <laughs> I haven't said anything about pre-orders except for on this podcast. I'm pretty sure since we and on opened Twitter, them. I think, but yeah. So if you haven't pre-ordered yet, just don't just, just hold just off. <laughs> well, I mean, you still, you still can't, I mean, it, we're, we're walking can, this, but. this fine line here where, cause the studio is actually basically out of money. Um, but we're about to launch this game, you know, in a very short period of time. And so we're just kind of okay with that fact. 
But, you know, when we have a few, you know, we're going to have tens or a few hundred players, uh, if they were to come in and pre-order it, then that would actually help keep the studio afloat. Well, yeah, that's true. And you can also tip us, you know, up to infinite money. Up to infinite money. Uh, so so it's awesome. not, it actually, because our, you know, our podcast, like right now we have something in the order of a couple hundred listeners. And so even if every single listener bought the podcast, that wouldn't hurt our Steam launch day. That's well, true. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the hell that Steam thing. We don't know. I, so I don't know. Well, what I would say, though, is if you're going to pre-order, uh, then no matter no matter what, you should definitely go leave a review right, on, on launch, launch day. day. That's going to be the biggest thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steam yeah. reviews are the thing that matter. So give us your thumbs. When we had actually been pushing it, pushing the pre-orders, uh, we'd gotten a pretty good volume of them. Uh, I guess what we would expect, a low volume, but <laughs> a good one. Uh, but our total to date of pre-orders total number is 131. Yeah, uh, which, which is, isn't bad considering we offered zero incentives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or well, even told people we, not to. Yeah, we, we told people not to. We didn't offer any incentives, and we didn't tell anybody about and it. You, so you sons of bitches just do don't listen. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> no, but seriously though, we are very appreciative of those of you who actually oh yeah, great. already pre-order uh, because. It, like I said, we're out of money. We're actually, Seth and I right now are on pay cut already while we're going to these final few months. In um, a manner of speaking. In a manner of speaking. About two-thirds. And, uh, <laughs> and those, those those pre-orders floated, you know, they actually floated us for an extra month, which is That's, pretty awesome. Yeah. So thanks. So, yeah. Thanks, pre-orders. Well, yeah, but anyway, so, it's, so I guess, yeah, the answer, the weird answer is that it's going just as poorly and just as well as we hoped. <laughs> it's a pretty weird thing. Yeah, uh, so we Calibre- probably won't do pre-orders again. I guess, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'll we'll figure it out. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Um, all right. So next question comes from Caliber Mengsk, who asks, "Why don't you guys ever talk about your super amazing calculator app?" Shut Colin up. P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't Why don't you guys ever talk about it? Oh, yeah, the listeners. You know, no one ever asks us about the. Yeah, stop listening and talk about it. So this was from back in the day. So when we first formed the company, and we I think we talked about this in an earlier episode. When we first formed the company, it wasn't purely a game studio. Uh, the reason we called it Shenanigans was because we were like, eh, we're going to make whatever. And Adam was doing his PhD in, uh, in, some, in biology stuff at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, all the calculator apps suck a fat one. I'm going to make a better one. And so he did, and that is all there is. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't quite the rationale. The rationale was I was, this was my second year of grad school, I think. Uh, Sam and Seth, I believe, had finished Towel Fight around this time, maybe even Quadrupus Rampage. And I was just sick of doing my grad school stuff, uh, and I needed a break. So... I was like, I'm going to go just, and I, I do a lot of programming anyway, or had been doing a lot of programming anyway. So I was just like, I'm going to go just make a thing, whatever that would be. And I was like, what's the simplest thing I can imagine making? And I was like, oh, just like a basic calculator, right? But that's boring as fuck. So I was like, what can I do that makes that a little bit more <laughs> interesting? Colors. And, and that was like, so, but I was like, what if we could, what if you could move the buttons and chain and completely customize the thing so that every button could be wherever you wanted it to be? And everything can be whatever color scheme you wanted it to be so you can you know color code things however you felt like uh which actually turns out to be pretty cool and pretty handy it isn't actually it's a really solid calculator it's called it's called greater calculator 
Yeah, it's on. It's not on iOS. I'm pretty sure. I think it's just in Google Play now. Just in Google Play. It may not even work anymore. I have no. We haven't looked at it or touched it for a long, long time. And so, I guess the short answer is is similar to my other project pre my true involvement in Butterscotch Shenanigans, which was uh, Gerblins. Yes. Uh, both we of those need things. to make a sequel for. We made it, Yeah, we definitely need a sequel of that um, with Sam's art. Because yeah. I did the art for the original oh, yeah. Gerblins. <laughs> yeah. And Sam did Which was the still sounds. pretty good. But yeah, it, basically both of those projects were just sort of, uh, you know, off-the-cuff things with a pure intention of practicing. They were like jazz improv on a saxophone on a dining room table. It was having something to do was, was kind of the main goal. And actually, that we, we talked about in, in previous episodes that as a, as a new indie studio or, or indie developer, it's a terrible idea to launch the first things that you make. Oh yeah, or well, and, and for, for wait, two wait, reasons. One is okay, well, so one is that it's likely to fail financially, which which in this case didn't matter. Uh, and the other case is that it could be embarrassing in the future, right? If, if the thing isn't good enough. And it turned out actually that Gerblins was fine. I do want to say though, I think going through the motions of the launch are actually like getting practice in that is actually crucial. Yeah, that's true. Right? It's not so, okay. Yeah, it's not a bad a hard idea to launch there. it. Just don't don't expect don't, anything. Yeah, don't pull don't that, expect success, don't pull yeah. that crap where you're like, "Hey guys, I just started programming yesterday. I now have a Patreon. I need everybody in the universe to come over here and just give <laughs> and me five dollars a month to write lines of code." And then get yeah. upset when it's just your mother who's giving don't, you forty five cents. Don't don't do that. Just like just <laughs> don't do it. Just make the thing, uh, promote it as best you can. And see what happens, and then yeah. try try to learn from it, and then just be done. You know, walk away from it and make the next thing. Yeah. Well, and and at this point, this is when we were we were all sort of exploring how, like, what it's like to make a thing and then make it available to people. And so I think before this, Seth had made uh, Bacterium, which yeah. was the first game that we published, and then Gerblins was the second one, and then the calculator was actually. I don't know. I can't remember what the order was, but but at, the, at those first ones, it was basically we were just like we don't even know what's happening. We're just gonna make a game, make it available, and see if we can learn something see from the experience. What happens? Mm-hmm. Actually, Bacterium is still crushing crushing nerds over on the Amazon educational <laughs> category. Well, relatively speaking, yeah, it's like yeah. number two hundred or something. Yeah, but it gets <laughs> how many sales does it get a a week? Uh, it makes like a hundred bucks a month. That's not bad. It's at not. All. I mean, it's not terrible. Yeah. A little, little, little bit of something. <laughs> a little beer money for a five-day game about bacteria. Yeah, it gets the job that's, done. That's actually a lot better than I was expecting. That's weird. Yeah, man, niche. Yeah. Nothing. Wait, so, so bacteria makes 100 bucks a month. On Amazon. Towel Fight did Towel Fight nothing. made $12 in a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, there's also a, a rather large upfront cost to Towel Fight, which didn't exist for bacteria. Yeah. But I mean, still though, Telfa had dig a hole out. I mean, we've we've made more money on the pre-orders of Crashlands already than we basically did from Telfa too. <laughs> uh, yeah, that poor, is poor Telfa. Maybe sad. though, with the so you know the story of Crashlands has a a whole bunch of Telfa stuff in it. So That's maybe true. you know the hardcore fans of Crashlands would be like, "Ooh, what's all this stuff about?" Blah, and then they'll go back and play it. You mean stuff about? I'm not gonna say. I don't okay, just, I was, I was I about to, I was about to throw it out there, but yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, but oh, maybe maybe a thing we should do. So Sam actually uh, has had worked out the 
the perk storyline. So we're going to have it the all four of our existing games have a whole bunch of perks that are that are so far not assigned to anything. So what we're going to do is have uh, one of those perks be assigned to a quest in Crashlands so that if you right. have the perk, you'll have access to the quest. And it'll, of course, unlock some really awesome, crazy stuff that, that we came up with. Uh, but what we could do is add a little bit of extra incentive by adding an additional one for towel fight. Cause we've got, I think three, <laughs> we got three perks to work with. Yeah, we do. So maybe we should just throw a little bonus. One we might and be like, Can come I, on, you fuckers go well, play. Towel is, fight. I mean, like, it's not going to make any money. It's a free game now because that one time I got cancer and everybody got upset for, because, but if people are going to do perks though, then it's going to cost them three bucks. Uh, right? Yeah. Wait. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the butter, the butter up. You can't there. unlock oh perks God. without oh, throwing Adam. Yeah. Genius. That's that's oh, how guys. The... <laughs> we just did business things. Business strategies. So that'll probably be like three people will do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can I can I reveal what the perk that comes from Quadrupus will do? Mm. I think so. Yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Okay. So there are Quadrupi in Crashlands, as in they're a race of characters and if you get the perk that comes from quadrupus rampage then tack who is the main character from quadrupus will be a quest giver in crashlands and he will send you on a quest to learn the ways of the quadrupus uh of the the advanced martial arts that they use and if eventually you will gain the ability if you complete this quest chain you'll gain the ability to perform the smash attack that is used in Quadrupus Rampage. Yeah. Uh, so far, no promises, though, because we haven't even started to implement that. But I think it's doable, right? <laughs> I think it's doable. doable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, well, it's one of those, it was actually one of the things that on, on our to-do list, it's just like once we came up with that being the thing we were going to do, it just says, whatever, however it has to get done, this has to get done. <laughs> that's just that's just what it is now. Yep. So that, that'll be there. All right. So next question comes from Christian St. Clair. Do you think you'd ever change the art direction and colors you typically use for newer games? So I just want to know what you're trying to get at. <laughs> because <laughs> okay, wait, I'll, wait. I'll say, though. Hey, God, there's another okay. question further, much further down the list that hasn't gotten voted up very high. Oh, the website one? Yes, from Don't Inquire, which feels yeah. a little similar, which says, and I quote, do you feel like your highly stylized website will be off-putting to a broader audience and potentially damage future community growth? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's hit both of them. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> things seem to be going well right now. I didn't realize that the website was super stylized. I didn't either until I read that question. What I want to say, though, about that is if our website is off-putting to people, then they can just go away. Like... <laughs> If you don't like it, then just don't stick around. I know? guess the question is, okay, so so do you think you'd ever change the art direction? I guess there's an important thing that, that me and Christian St. Clair need to have just a moment about, which is that... Okay, we'll leave. I'll leave you guys. All right, you guys leave the room for a sec. Uh, <laughs> okay, listen, we'll see you in a moment. Listen, Christian, so here's the deal. I can't actually draw things very well, so... Uh, while I would like to honor your request for a completely different art style, <laughs> uh, literally can't do it. So either either the games look like they do, or there aren't any. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add on to this, though. Do it, Adam. One of the things that, we, that we're trying to really establish for, for our studio is, is really clear brand recognition. 
and there there are really only two ways that comes across because we're trying to have a diversity of game types and so right now yeah it's a bunch of action action stuff action arcade stuff but crash end is like a totally different thing the genres don't overlap with our existing work and in future projects we want to be able to do also totally different stuff and so people need to be able to still you know pick up our games or just see them in the store and be able to tell that those are butterscotch games and the uh two ways that they can do that are if the art style matches and if the sort of attitude of the game like the you know the ethos of the game matches you can't even get to that second one until you play the game all the trailers can get you a little info right uh but the first one the art style is the one you just see so that's you know having having icons that all match and having screenshots that shows uh, the same art style and everything else so the fact is that right now sam's art is the branding power of butterscotch shenanigans yes no pressure sam but seriously don't don't fuck it yeah, up jesus <laughs> like i personally have absolutely no interest in sam changing his art style in fact, I, don't know, I, I, I'd I be, was actually gonna suggest i'd be annoyed go by for like a you know like a silhouette based kind of a thing maybe a noir theme mm, noir. heavy emotional undertones for some reason yeah, i knew you're gonna say noir I don't know why. <laughs> I just I it just seems like the furthest thing away from what we currently do. Well, there's an important note yeah. here too, though. So I had a so you know all of our our uh, box art. So all those big painted images are done by one guy named Eric Hibbler, and who's awesome. He's the best, the and he always just cranks up these beautiful, freaking awesome, uh, you know, high very high energy posters for us, basically. But they're also very stylized. They are, and they're all very yeah. stylized, and they use the they actually use the correct colors right from our games, and so they're all extremely colorful things. That's because Eric is so damn good. I mean, Sam, you send him uh, basically just sprite sheets. Yeah, where you're just like, like, here's a bunch of, of the enemies. Yeah, here's a bunch of the enemies in our game. Here's some screenshots, and Eric is like, all right, and then he just <laughs> kicks out this insane. I mean, that flop rocket poster that he did yeah so cool so holy crap but here's the important thing and i i just learned this today so i went out tonight and got uh got dinner with a friend of mine and he said he was he had the crash he has the crash lands wallpaper on his laptop and he was off in a different city somewhere um working at a college library for the day doing work and some student walked by and saw the crash lands wallpaper and said oh is that is that quadrupus Mmm. And yeah, he that's said, what I'm saying, branding, man. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. he goes, no, 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 this is, uh, this is Crashlands. It's by the same guys. And the guy's like, oh man, I sunk so much time into Quadrupus. And he's like, yeah, they actually have a new game coming. It's, this is their new game. So you gotta maintain yeah, your you style. You gotta maintain some style and some branding, even or, if or evolve this, it slowly. Right, know, right. Time. I think that's that's kind of tricky. I mean, if you think about like Borderlands, for example, right? I mean, that has that is that is an exceptionally styled game. You can fall out. Right, it's just like sepia tones, fucking everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's a fifties themed thing, and they're like, yeah, now it's like, it's it's actually the year twenty ten when this happens. Um, probably considerably less interesting, you know. And they they would lose a lot of the value that they built up over time. So, I guess the the easy answer is basically that since I sucked at what I was doing when we started, and in my opinion, still kind of do, and that I don't have a lot of flexibility, uh, we have locked ourselves onto this path. Christian Saint so Claire. we just gotta go we just gotta keep going <laughs> we gotta it's a one-way trip it's a good path it is funny though because we were running into this issue now where 
Crashlands development has been going on for so long, and Sam has made every single art asset in that game, which now is amounted to several thousand images, right? So he made every single one of those, but he started the process when he was still like an art noob. Two right? years ago. Two years ago. Like <laughs> he was he was pretty good at that point, but now he's really good. And so basically he spanned you know, the Crashlands art spanned that that uh, that educational period. Right. And so now when Sam has had to make new pieces of art, he's actually had to try to mimic his older style to right. make it work because otherwise the newer stuff that he produces doesn't quite fit with the stuff that's already there. So it's just one of those things that having one person who is uh, who is new at art and learned it in the context of the games that we make means that as we go on over time, the art style just will absolutely slowly evolve. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, you're, it's going to be hard to tell. I probably, I would guess, but the, the art for the stuff in the final phases of the game, like in the tundra, um, and all the boss art and stuff has a, has a similar, but slightly different style. Actually. Um, there's a little more, it's a little more complicated on, on like a shading and, uh, and a general shapes. Yeah, and a lot of it you can't really see because everything in the game is small. Right, and I didn't yeah. actually realize like you you can kind of get the vibe from it, but like I didn't actually realize it until I had to go back and uh, uh, the other day I was uh, my fiance had played the game and it put down a bunch of these chitin floors, which is big orange sort of insectoid skin floors, and I just looked at them. I was like, those are ugly. <laughs> and they were actually <laughs> see, I thought the, they looked fine, but they were the third know. floor that I had made in the game, and I hadn't touched them since. Yeah. And so I just went back and kind of I did, I couldn't really really overhaul them, um, but I just kind of tweaked them so they're you know more in line with what I had learned since from making like sixteen other floor types and uh, and you know afterwards like the change is very subtle but like to me it's huge because like this they're not so visually annoying which is important but but yeah okay so next question comes from racing for the finish so I know this is a bit far into the future. But when Crashlands launches off and takes over the world, given a generous revenue has resulted, would you consider any Crashlands DLC or sequel? Yeah. Thanks. You guys do great work. Keep it up. Woohoo! Racing for the finish. Thanks, uh, man. I've got a I've got a quick answer to this, which is something we've already talked about. the The Crashlands creators, you know, the tool that we are using to make the story within Crashlands. But in order to actually launch the game in a reasonable time. We're not going to launch that and make that public until the first patch mm-hmm. after we launch. So we already have that new content planned. Unless a miracle happens. Yes. I'm not keen on miracles. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying you know, it's possible that, I'm, that something happens. <laughs> so that, that thing will – and that, that'll be a huge, huge change to the game because that'll take it from a purely single-player, uh, uh, I guess – sort of absorptive experience, right? Where you play the thing that we made and it'll change it to a social experience that is also a creative experience where you get to go design whatever the hell you want and play stuff that other people have made. So that's, that's going to change in, entirely what Crashlands feels like. Bit, yeah. It's going to make that a totally different game when we launch that. For sure, we know we're going to do that. We don't know when exactly it'll be oh, after man. the launch. You know what? Something would be awesome. What would be awesome? Would be if somebody does a really great job of making an additional story, if we make that one of the official like featured campaigns 
Yeah. Like, like well, if it really and, jives, yeah. you know, with our stuff. Yeah, I mean, we can even do like weekly stuff or, you know, any of those things. Actually, the infrastructure is all set up so that we can curate other people's creations and, and, and have like basically our recommendations, you know, to people and that kind of thing. I think most of the future of Crashlands is going gonna, is gonna to hinge on the social aspect of the creator and what, what our community does. Uh, we do have uh, some thoughts about other things that we'll do, but it's very likely that every once in a while we'll come back because we'll, we'll need to make sure that the game still runs and stuff as hardware in the world gets updated, you know, for the next few years anyway. And so every time we do that, we might as well go add some bells and whistles. And so we, we've talked about adding stuff to the game, but but at least right now the, the idea would be that those would be things that will now become available in the game and available in the creator, but not stuff that we'll necessarily add to the official campaign. So we'll basically, we'll, we'll give you more and more stuff to work with uh, over time, but we, we may not come back and, and spend a lot of time adding new stories. I think it would be really unlikely that we would sell those as DLC. Yeah, we would just patch it, whatever. Yeah, and by, by really <laughs> unlikely, it's it's like, I, I would love just to say, fuck no, we're not doing that. But, you know, the future is uncertain, so I'm, I'll leave it as an option. But it's definitely not something that I would even entertain right now. Right, yeah. And as far as uh, sequels go, I think, I guess as far as our, our interest right after Crashlands launch is kind of going to be uh, not yeah, Crashlands for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Aside yeah. from, I, th- I think, I mean, we will be doing a real quick Oculus Rift sequel for Crashlands. Yeah, 3D. Which is a complete uh, recreation of the whole game in 3D with the <laughs> Oculus. But that'll just take a month or two, so. Uh, also, it's an MMO. It's an MMO. Uh, and I think, I mean, honestly, if, if I'm just speaking, speaking for myself, the only thing, the only improvement, honestly, that I can, that I could give to Crashlands if I could just wave a wand would be uh, multiplayer. So I think that's not a thing that we could do to this. I mean, the game is enormous and basically read as we've discussed before, there's no like just add multiplayer. That's uh, a hilarious and, and, you know, silly idea that that's a thing we could do. So if we were to do a sequel or something like that, um, that would be, that would be the reason in my opinion to actually do a sequel. Would be yeah. A, it would be, it would be something, it would be a different game though. It yeah, wouldn't be, absolutely. it wouldn't be crash lands. It wouldn't be like the way that Don't Starve has Don't Starve Together. Right. right? It, yeah, it would be a very different experience. Yeah, it would be a different I, think, game I think entirely. the biggest aspect of that is, you know, it, it makes sense if you see Crashlands and maybe you're familiar with Don't Starve and you're like, why wouldn't Crashlands have multiplayer? Uh, but once you play it, I think you'll understand because it would be similar to being like, why doesn't Skyrim have multiplayer? Right. Yeah. You know, uh, why doesn't Fallout have multiplayer? Like it, it's a story-driven game. And right. so just dropping somebody else in the middle of your story is weird. Or Zelda. Why doesn't Zelda have multiplayer? Yeah, right. yeah. It's it's a story-driven adventure game. And so it just it just doesn't make sense. Right. So, you know, a future game, uh, you know, multiplayer may make sense in that context because we'd be, de- you know, uh, designing it from the ground up with that in mind. So, um, okay. So we have time for one more question, which I think is a really good one. Uh, it's from Birch 66 who asks, how did you think of Bella in Towel Fight 2 or Bingo in Quadrupus Rampage? Mm-hmm. How did we? I have no idea. I wasn't around at that time. I think I remember vaguely. Okay, uh, so we, maybe it'll jog something. So we did, in Towel Fight 2, we, it was just you as the, as the you know, elderly Indian man. Um, and we actually had the game pretty well along. I think we were done with the forest. We had all the original bosses, the first three bosses done. 
And we kept getting this sense of the game feeling lonely. Like it was yeah. just you by yourself. Against an ever-massive tide of enemies. Yeah. And we were like, God, you know, it would just be nice to have a companion here with you. You know, without us having to implement multiplayer or something. <laughs> um, and so we thought, you know, what's the most kind of innocuous thing we can do that's that doesn't seem like it should change the gameplay. Like if you had, you know, some kind of like a rampaging cyborg alongside you or something, it's like, okay, well, that's right. overpowered. Not a, not a super operable pet. Just a pet. Yeah. Literally so just we're like, a pet. So we're like, pug. It's got to be a pug because it's the most dysfunctional dog that exists. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to expect anything of it except for companionship. Yeah. yeah. And so Bella, 99% of the time, just bounces around, looks at stuff, and rolls on the ground in, in Talifax. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't actually do anything. While there's, like, extreme violence going on. Every right. now, and, and most people probably don't even notice this, but every now and then Bella goes ballistic and one-shots a monster. <laughs> it's really hard to see. In, I mean, that, that game is so full of chaos. There is so though. much chaos in this game, yeah. yeah. But actually, and then the addition of Bella actually allowed us to kind of tell a little bit better of a story because then we added in at the beginning the whole thing where you're in the dog park and we have a little ball that you're kicking around and Bella just kind of like chases the ball a little bit but mostly just kind of rolls around by it um, and then that also when we got into the purple marsh of death we started integrating Bella into the story mm-hmm. where suddenly after you defeat Gerblin then you know Forn gets upset and he kidnaps Bella and turns Bella against you and it's all you know so that a big part of the story is you trying to rescue Bella. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, from the people who actually played the game, we got a bunch of very... There, there was this period of getting very angry mail from people where they were like, where did Bella go? I really liked Bella. <laughs> because yeah. she actually gets taken away, just completely taken away from you for, like, a third of the game. And then you have to fight her. <laughs> and so when we started working on Quadrupus, um, and I don't think we've actually talked about this publicly but when we first started working on a quadrupus we were like we want to sort of recapture that idea of you have like a really good friend or companion or something and something happens to them and you have to go and save them and so in quadrupus and we coded (laughs) we coded this all up like it this actually was in the game yeah but we removed it later Um, the original cutscene. yeah so the first 10 levels was you and another quadrupus named buddy and the two of you i don't know if you even saw this adam i did not I did uh not and the two this. of you were playing tennis together and so it wasn't like you just slapping a tennis ball around with bingo it was you were playing a tennis match against buddy at the beginning and then pete goes crazy you know the fish start rising up or whatever and so you and buddy start traveling down to uh, find Pete, and when you get down to about depth ten, something happens. Buddy gets knocked unconscious, and then he gets like carried off the edge of the depths by a just a, like a wave of fish, and he's gone. And so the reason that you were diving down to begin with was not actually to defeat Pete, but just to find Buddy and rescue him. Mm-hmm. And so you know those little quadrupod clusters that you find that give you buffs. Yeah. Those were originally piles of rocks with like a little tentacle poking out of it. Meaning like, ooh, is Buddy under there? And you would like go check <laughs> and you know, he wasn't. And somehow you got a buff from that. I don't know. Seems like you would just get depressed, but seems like it It ended up being too it, it didn't was too match dark. the tone of the game, yeah, at all. 
Yeah, it was um, like, oh, my best friend is dying. Because <laughs> also because the final one that we wanted to put in was actually when you got like you got to the very bottom. There's actually a bottom at that point too. I believe you got to the very bottom, and Buddy is just floating there, dead. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it was really dark. I don't know what was going on, man. I don't know. But sometimes things go dark. Yeah, after that, we, we kept we kept trying to work with it. And we were just like, this is depressing. And so then eventually we were like, just we'll just put in this dumb starfish who just speaks in dupes and boops. Uh, we'll name it Bingo because that's hilarious because it's like a dog's name, but it's a starfish and it behaves like right. a dog. Um, and then we added Bingo's cool little spin attack. And, and he just became sort of a supporting character. Um, where then the story became about, you know, being the, the fight between you and Pete. And we did not right. take bingo away this time around. Yeah. Um, cause we, it, we felt too bad about that when we took Bella. Well, and I think we, and we did this too with then Crashlands, where you've got juice right. box as your companion who's with you. Yeah. Well, I, I think we learned, we learned a lesson from that, which is, you know, in the, in, and I mean, if you actually look at a lot of these other games, like Mario has Yoshi, you know, uh, Link has the little fairy pixie thing that mm-hmm. follows him. I can't remember. It's, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to get some hate mail from Zelda fans. <laughs> <laughs> that flying dot uh, that follows Link around. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of, in a lot of single player games, and actually in Fallout, like you can get a dog. Yeah. You, well, yeah. you can get companions. Yeah. You get companions. And I, and I think it's, and it comes right back to the thing we're talking about with connection, which mm-hmm. is as as people, we need friends around us, you know? And even if we're playing a single-player game... You want the feeling of that sort of camaraderie to exist. Yeah, yeah. It's It just speaks to our nature of not wanting to be alone mm-hmm. all the time. Way to full circle that one, Seth. Yeah, and I think in, in any of the games we make, we make that, you know, there's going to be a companion... Or some, you know, any single player game, there's going to be some kind of a buddy that comes along with you for the ride. I, so, all right. So, I think that's all the time we have for mm-hmm. today. Uh, so, thank you guys for listening. And uh, once again, these questions all came from podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, so, if you want to get in on future podcasts and get your questions in there and vote for their questions, just head on over there. And all of our games can be found at games.bscotch.net. And we also have a fantastic community over at forums.bscotch.net. So if you haven't hopped in there and said hello, then you should do so. And uh, that's all we got. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Peace.